Hello, and welcome back to the Baseball Trade Values Podcast. My name is Joshua Iverson, and I am the associate editor of BaseballTradeValues.com, joined, as always, by founder and owner John Bitzer. John, it's getting hot out here. <laughs> I don't know, I don't know how ways. it is in, in Jersey. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. It's starting to, starting to turn the heat up a little bit on the on the trade deadline hot stove, but uh, yeah. uh, Arizona's jumping the gun. It's it's blazing. We're in a triple digits every day. How, how are you doing, and how's the weather out there? Oh, the smoke is gone. You know, I live in New Jersey, and so we had that Canadian smoke thing a couple of days last, this past week, which was weird. Um, and my kids were playing baseball in it, which was weird, but anyway, it was only, it's gone now. Um, so yeah, it's fine. I did want to, um, just sort of, as we started, I just want to say, so most of the updates at the, we've been making updates kind of more as, as sort of an in-process kind of thing this time around and really paying attention to like buyers and sellers and who might be the most likely trade candidates. Anyway, most of those have been updated. We're at about the 40% mark of the season, so you'll see like 0.6, anything with a 0.6 at the end of it is like the latest and greatest updates, and most of the, the obvious names are, are, are done. So, And you'll see a lot of changes, so I just wanted to point that out. Yeah, it, it's, it feels like the season has gone really quick. Mm-hmm. Is that just me? It, it feels like things are just rolling along. It does, yeah. I feel like I'm just you know catching up with all the changes and also because you know there's been a lot of surprises and i know we'll we'll talk about that both on a team level and on an individual level so like some some players you expect to be good having rough seasons and vice versa so and that's always the case but feels like a little bit differently this year that's one storyline and the other one obviously we've talked about in the past which is so many pitchers injuries and so there's going to be a big demand for pitching help at the deadline yeah, and maybe part of why the season's moving along so quick is the pitch clock. They improve pace of play right. for the individual games and also there you go. Yeah. <laughs> individual season. Um, yeah. Real quick, just a quick tangent. How are you feeling about baseball this year? How are you enjoying it? How are you, uh, I guess, ingesting it, indulging in it? Because for me, it's mm-hmm. been a little bit different this year. Um, I know it's been a trend of the last few years of going away you know drifting a little bit away from the single team fandom and you know i'll watch some a's games and i'll still there's still a couple players there and things like that but i kind of just poke around see what interesting games are on put them on in the background that kind of thing and you know i've talked before about how i like the d-backs i like the twins i have some some Mm -hmm. close friends who root for them so i kind of secondarily root for them and watch their games maybe a little bit more often but how has your baseball consumption been this season it's similar over the past couple of years. I've definitely had more of a national perspective, you know, and partly it's because of running this site. And so I try to be unbiased and I try to look at everything and, you know, root for good baseball, as they say. Um, and also helps that my favorite team is kind of in collapse mode. So that's not as interesting. But I have what I do is when after the kids go to bed, I turn on the M, you know, I have the uh, MLB.TV app and they have this thing called MLB Beginning, which is basically just a roundup and a split screen of whatever's going on. And being on the East Coast, you see a lot of West Coast games at like 10 30, 11 o'clock at night. So, like, oh, okay, let's see what the Padres are doing. Oh, let's see what the Mariners are doing. You know, I get a lot of that. The one thing that the pitch clock is screwing up for me is I really enjoyed, you know, end of the evening. It's it's like 10 o'clock, 10.30 my time, and there's still one game going. Mm-hmm. And I get to just close out the night with some baseball to wrap it up. But but now with the mm-hmm. pitch clock, it's it's always over by like 9.30, 10 at the yeah. very latest. So I, I, yeah. 
I've gotten a little more used to it now, but early on in the season, there were many times where I was like, oh, let's see if there's any baseball on. And nope, they, they, they all ended a half hour ago. That's a... <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and being on the East Coast, you know, I do get the late games, but... You know, like the travel days, like Wednesdays and Thursdays is not as much. My favorite night of the week to watch baseball is actually Tuesday night because there's all kinds of games because everybody plays night games on Tuesday nights. So that's always a good one. Yeah. Well, cool. Um, let's just dive into it then. We have a handful, actually just a just two trades that we have tracked here from the last couple of weeks, both minor, but getting <laughs> a little more interesting than, than the, you know, roster filler for roster filler type deals we have been mm-hmm. talking a lot recently. Um. The first one, Dodgers acquired right-handed pitcher Ricky Venasco at 0.6 million from the Rangers in exchange for left-handed pitcher uh, prospect Luis Valdez at 2.4. So a bit of a gap there, but still accepted by the model. I believe Venasco was DFA'd uh, That's right. by the Rangers, and yeah, it's a it's a weird case. You know, usually the Rogers Dodgers, excuse me, usually the Dodgers aren't the team. Um, you know, kind of taking advantage of another team's 40-man pileup, but it seems like the Dodgers are in a bit of a transitionary period. You know, they have a whole lot of guys hurt on the 60 day injured list as well. So that clears up spots. Um, and then some of their very, very best prospects aren't 40 man eligible yet. So it seems like they might have a little more flexibility than usual. And Venasco a little closer to the majors, Valdez a little further away, still mostly just a, you know, shuffling of, of deck chairs type deal, but a little more interesting than some of these, you know, cash consideration type deals we've seen in recent weeks. Yeah, so Venasco's stock has dropped a little bit, but mostly because of injury. And the Dodgers do like to do this. They like to rehab guys and fix them. And Venasco is a fix-it project, I think, because he did have more more prospect capital as recently as a year ago. Um, but, you know, injuries kind of have, have changed his profile quite a bit. And then the DFA obviously cut his value a bit. So I think they see more upside in him, perhaps something to work with some clay to, to mold there. So, and they like to do that. So sure. He's a fix it project. Yeah. And I'll never put it past them, but also a decent job by the Rangers here to pick up a real prospect for a guy that they mm-hmm. just snipped off the fringes of their roster. So. I have a feeling we'll be talking about the Rangers plenty more throughout this episode, but the more interesting, I think, of the two trades from the past couple weeks, the Rays acquired right-handed pitcher Robert Stevenson at negative 0.6 median trade value uh, from the Pirates in exchange for infielder Alika Williams, 2.3 million. So that's a real-ish prospect in, in Williams and I know I'm I'm viewing this through maroon and gold colored glasses. Uh, former <laughs> Sun Devil Alika Williams, really fun to watch while he was here. Um, but he's you know he's he's a probable utility guy down the road, but he's at least you know a a prospect of note in exchange for kind of a waiver wire fodder reliever in Stevenson, who's kind of bounced around a lot and hasn't been that good this year. Um, it speaks to a couple of things. But for, first, let me say that this was also accepted by the model, just as a minor overpay by Tampa Bay. Um, but it does speak to a, you know, Stevenson checks off a lot of the raised boxes of he throws fairly hard. He's bounced around. He has high spin, good stuff. You know, they, they might see something they can unlock there. That wouldn't be surprising to anyone at this point. We're all pretty used to it. At, at this point, it's it's more surprising when a guy like Jake Diekman goes to the Rays and doesn't find his old form and, and break out. So um, th- he obviously checks off all of those boxes. But then it, it also just speaks to how banged up the Rays are and how, like we've been saying 
since the offseason, they just don't really have the same level of pitching depth like we're used to seeing from them. And so they've had to make moves like this one and pick up Diekman and and Chase Anderson was there for a minute and things like that. Like they've been shuffling and I know they always shuffle. That's part of what they do. But it's been more out of necessity this time than, oh, that guy we like hit waivers. Let's get him. And, and we have a guy we can option. And so now we have more depth. Instead, it's we are scrambling, reaching for any arms we can find to pitch. And <laughs> This is what we have to make deals like this to get them sometimes. Yeah, and it's not like they gave up that much. I know Alika Williams had some uh, pedigree. He was a a bonus uh, round or CBA round, thirty seventh overall pick originally in twenty twenty. But the um, but it's probably more glove than bat. He really hasn't hit much in the minors, and now he's kind of getting older. He's twenty four, and um, he's still at, at double A. So it's not like. You know, I think he's not going to make you know make a dent in their firm. It's not like it was a painful thing to get rid of him, right? So, and they clearly were desperate for pitching. So even though Robert Stevenson has had his lumps and had been DFA'd and was not cheap in contract terms, it's not like you know he's you know a couple million ish. They're still like okay, we got to get a pitcher and maybe we can work with him. So um, you know, I think it's fine from both teams' perspective, and the Pirates got something out of it. So good for them. Yeah, I think from the Rays' side, like you said, Williams is probably a utility guy. I think his like realistic best case scenario is he's like Kevin Newman, mm-hmm. and the Rays just churn out infielders in such a way that at any given time in their system, they're going to have six guys better than that to play shortstop. So he's he, he was never going to have a unless he broke out in some huge way. He was never going to have a meaningful role on that team, and that's not you know. A lot of folks will use something like that of, oh, he's blocked at that position to justify, well, just trade him for anyone. <laughs> but th- that's also not what's happening here. And, you know, we're not, like you said, we're not talking about a superstar. We're talking about a fringe ish prospect for a fringe ish reliever. So it makes some sense, even if there is a bit of a gap in the values, it's, it's nothing out of the ordinary, really. Yeah. I mean, the other minor point here is I'm not quite sure I see the strategy other than depth from the Pittsburgh point of view, because you figure they've got O'Neill Cruz as their future shortstop unless they move him to the outfield. But, you know, they now they're playing Tucapita Marcano, one of my favorite names, Ed Short, and so far so good with him. And they've got, you know, a couple other infielders like they've got some depth already at that position, but maybe longer term, they're just thinking, yeah, can't have too much depth. And, you know, this guy can be like a ninth inning defensive replacement or whatever. So, sure. Yeah. Also, Rodolfo Castro, who yeah. fascinates me. I I, I don't <laughs> know if he's actually going to be good, but he's really interesting to me for some reason. Um, But, but yeah, it seems like the Pirates for a minute here have just been in just talent acquisition and we'll sort the rest out later. I think yeah. we've seen that with a lot of their recent trades and signings and drafts and things like that. Um, they're they're just trying to get all the young talent they can, and they'll sort it out when when they get there. And if that means trading some guys down the road, or if that means, whoops, we traded our our useless not useless that's a mean word <laughs> our um, no longer relevant to us veteran reliever for a guy that's not going to make our team, and and oh no, his trade value sputtered out. Oh well, <laughs> I, I guess that could be more of their perspective. And yeah, you know, if if the Rays weren't going to part with a lower minors lottery ticket because they know how valuable those guys can be. And they don't want to be given up a guy who could be the next Jordan Alvarez, O'Neill Cruz, no name prospect who makes a, makes a big name for himself. 
Um, if they don't want to be giving that kind of guy up for a Stevenson, then you just take the value you can get and sort it out later. Yeah, exactly. Um, last word on the Pirates. They are still tied for first in the NL Central. Granted, they're just a couple ticks over 500, but still tied for first. So I know it's a weak division. And I know they're probably not going to be buyers, but I don't know. I have a little doubt in my mind now. Are they going to be buyers at the deadline? Or, like, is this serious? Like, Because <laughs> they got a lot of prospect capital to, to play with if they wanted to. It's, it feels a little too much too soon to call the buyers, but I'm keeping an eye on that. My early take on them is they feel a little bit like the Orioles from last year. Yeah. Where they, they might... You know, I don't think they're trading McCutcheon or anything. I think he's just hanging out there for maybe even the remainder of his career. Mm -hmm. um, but if somebody's interested in Carlos Santana or Austin Hedges or um, someone on the pitching side, sorry, my Fangraphs page is frozen. <laughs> um, Rich Hill. Da, 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 da. Rich, Hill. <laughs> Rich Hill, yes. Rich Hill will absolutely find a new team that I book it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, if, if they get interesting guys like that, like I guess they could maybe consider a David Bednar. That would be kind of along the lines of a Jorge Lopez that the Orioles traded last year. Um, no, but he's their dude. He's yeah. You know, he's yeah, I, I don't think it's as likely. <laughs> yeah. But if they if they get an overpay, they might pull the trigger. But yeah. I, I think they they shuffle some pieces around a little bit, and I think they're what they tell the media is. Hey, we are, we're going to get one of the better trade deadline acquisitions across the league when O'Neill Cruz is healthy and comes back to the team, and that'll be kind of their <laughs> their party line. And you can you can mm -hmm. take take it for what you will, but it's really them. You know, we're not gonna not gonna push too hard before we're really ready. I think I yeah. think that's where we'll see them. Um, related, are the Brewers just bad? They're still in first place. What the heck? Like. <laughs> <sighs> how <laughs> they, they don't really division. have offense and their pitching their pitching needs to be better but it hasn't to this point so i i don't know i've I i've mean, liked the brewers i think i've been higher on them than a lot of people the last few years but ah i'm i'm worried for them this year I'm yeah i mean you, you look at their roster and you're like what First of all, Corbin on the rotation side, they've got Corbin Burns and then a bunch of other guys. <laughs> so like Colin Ray or Julio Torrella. But like, yeah, yeah. Because, uh, you know, Woodruff is still injured. Freddie Peralta, um, I can't remember if he was injured or not. You know, there's, so there's that. And the offense, to your point, is like, what? Um, you know, they've got Owen Miller and John Singleton. And, you know, what the heck's going on there in their starting lineup? So, like, how are they doing that? It's like sticks and wires, right? So, is that a playoff team? I don't know. Doesn't look like it. I find the NL, and we're, we're solidly on a tangent here, but it's fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> I find the NL Central significantly more compelling than the AL Central. There's been a lot of talk about how just decisively mediocre those two divisions have been this year. Um, the AL Central even if it's kind of a mess and it, it might seem like it's anybody's game, I really think it's still a two team race between the tigers and guardians. Uh, race might not be the right you word. You mean the twins. Uh, sorry. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. Uh, twins and guardians. Yeah. Um, it, I would be pretty shocked if anybody else rose up and, and won that division, but 
the way well, it's not going to be the Tigers or Royals. So exactly, you can get that. It's the only thing is maybe the White Sox turn it around at some point. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and and just, even with all their struggles, they're only four and a half games back because yeah, the Twins yeah. just can't pull away with it. But yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, there, there's so much incentive for them to sell. I think that I'm I'm not really holding my breath for them. But in the NL Central, it really kind of feels like anyone's game, and I think a little bit of that is just how exciting the Reds have been the last few days since they called up Ellie De La Cruz. And uh-huh. I could squint and see that kind of dream run where they called up their mega prospect. And, you know, uh, Matt McClain is up there as well. And, and he's fun to watch. He's not, I, I don't think he's performing quite as well as, as De-, De La Cruz. And he's not the same level of prospect, obviously. But, you know, there's a couple other kids they can call up. They called up Andrew Abbott. There's a couple more on the farm that could make their debut down the stretch. So I could see them having one of those runs where it's just the, the youth invasion and, and all the energy on the team. And if Joey Votto ever makes it back to the club, then he's the grizzled vet that's going to come in off the bench with a big hit to <laughs> send him to the playoffs, you know? He's the so, Kirk Gibson. <laughs> right, right. So, like, if that's of that division, the Reds, if I can even make a, a decent enough argument for them, and then you look at, you know, the Cardinals we've talked about at length, how they're always just one good week away from being right back in this thing and and they've done that to us plenty of times before um the cubs have like a solid enough foundation of a, of a major league team that they could turn it on like i wouldn't be surprised by any of these five teams not necessarily pulling away with it but having a hot week and then suddenly we're talking about them winning the division like yeah i mean looking at fan graphs and their playoffs odds they're all bunched together they still think the brewers have the best chance by far um, but they haven't ruled out the Cardinals at 21%, Pirates at 20%, even Cubs at 10.7%, but the Reds, they have at 3.5%. I hear you, though. I think there's some, some new excitement in Cincinnati, so they could surprise some people. Most of the Cubs fans on, on our site are despondent and want to sell because they, they just can't see it being their year, and I don't blame them. So that seems to be like, okay, that's probably going to happen. I mean, the Cardinals are still... Yeah, they've got a 415 win percentage. That's not good. Um, but there are the Cardinals, so you can never rule them out. Um, but yeah, that that is a really weird division because nobody wants to win it. It's the polar opposite of the AL East, which, totally. <laughs> which is not an original thought that's been said many times before. Um, back to back to our actual news and, and running through our, our topics okay. for the week. Um <laughs> Let's jump to the AL West where Jacob DeGrom, Tommy John surgery, big bummer. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, obviously a bummer. That That's the first takeaway from this is that it sucks for the Rangers. It sucks for DeGrom. It sucks for baseball. He's, he's arguably the most exciting pitcher to watch when he's healthy, when you can watch him. Um, and it, it sucks that we're going to, we're we're going to be missing that for the rest of this year and probably most, if not all of next year. So that's a blow for baseball. That's, that's number one takeaway. Um, my number two takeaway from all of this is just how many people I saw on Twitter and I'm sure it was in other, other mediums as well, but, uh, I don't, I don't have cable. Uh, <laughs> how many people I saw just, just dunking on the Rangers for this signing. And uh-huh. I, I understand it to an extent of it was always a high risk signing, but you can't act like this possibility wasn't baked into the price. 
I know people will look at the annual value and, and the size of the contract and say, and, and you know, it's kind of hard to imagine that it could have been any higher. But if Jacob Degrom was a was a clean bill of health and he had made thirty starts each of the last six years, he would have cost double yeah. <laughs> what he cost the Rangers. Like it, it's insane to think about, but he would have cost them so much more. They would have paid him so much more. So that was kind of baked into the price, and it was baked into the the weird vesting option they had at the end of the deal where if he had somehow stayed healthy throughout the whole deal, he would get another high annual value year. But since he did get injured, he um, that becomes like a lower value club option for the Rangers, which is a point in their favor. So yes, it's a bummer. And yes, this isn't how the Rangers wanted it to go. This is like worst case scenario by far is Tommy John. And, you know, if even if he had just made 15 starts a year with, various banged up here and there and made a few playoff appearances a year or every other year or something like that they would have taken that tommy john is definitely the worst case scenario for them even with that though we we can't act like like i said we can't act like that wasn't already baked into the price of the deal they overpaid a little bit overpriced even after so yes they baked it in and then they overpaid a little bit more to get him because there was there were some bids um, and they really, really wanted him, obviously. So they took the risk. They knew it was a risk. And um, yeah, I am in one of those camps that said, look, he hasn't pitched. He's pitched like half a season each of the last two before this one. So, and yes, they knew that as well, obviously. So they baked that in, but they still like wanted that guy, you know, to be the number one starter in the playoffs if they made the playoffs. They also wanted to create that excitement like, hey, we're serious here. Yeah, I know we signed Seager and Simeon and those guys, but. Now we're serious. <laughs> now we're now we've got an ace, and so I think that played into it as well. Um, and so I don't think they're surprised that he needed Tommy John because you know they, you know, I'm sure they saw some medicals. They knew the risk, which is why they signed the other guys too, Evaldi and and Andrew Heaney, and they had John Gray and Martin Perez. They renewed so like in, and now Dane Dunning is stepping up. So so there's oddly enough they're still okay because they signed those guys and they're none of those guys are aces but Evaldi is having a good year uh, but nonetheless they're okay and they're in first place they're handling it and good for them so i think they are sort of lucky and sort of unlucky at the same time if that makes any sense yeah and i, I think it is fair to say that they did overpay a little bit for him they kind of mm -hmm. had to there were like you said there were bids and this was the texas rangers coming off a of last not last place because the a's exist <laughs> um, a terrible season though um and so maybe you have to pay a little bit more to get the guy to go there things like that so i there there's that argument to it and then there's you know was this the best choice of of spending you know there were some other top free agents that they could have gotten instead you could argue that they even if this was a close to fair price for him that it wasn't the best allocation of their resources that they could have gone and gotten I mean, the, the tough part was that most of the top free agents were middle infielders, and they already got that checked off with Seager and Semien last offseason. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. I don't know if there's a strong argument that they should have gotten Carlos Rodon instead, considering how he still hasn't pitched this season. Um, so so at that point, like, like yeah, if, I would listen to an argument of, oh, I've, I've been thinking this was too risky for them since the beginning. They should have gotten this guy instead, or this guy and this guy, or whatever. Like, I'd listen to an argument on that, but that's that's not what I'm seeing. Most of what I'm seeing is just, like, they overpaid, and that's it. And that's, yeah, that's what I just, push back on. They, and that's just people being, like, you know, um, wrote, what's the expression, you know, 
you know, hindsight is 2020. Like, of course, everybody's like, oh, of course they overpay. You know, if he was healthy in pitching, they were like, oh, that's a great deal. Like, every, like that's just, you know, dumb. And you it's know? it's this mindset <laughs> kind of brought upon us by Moneyball where, like, the 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 thinking baseball fan you know not not i mean some of the more casual ones but then the ones who like start to get into things a little bit more and start to pay attention to the finances they're all about you know i even said it earlier allocation of resources they're all about we have a finite budget we need to spend these dollars in the best way possible whereas there's also this school of thought of it's not my money like <laughs> like the, the rangers owners just like every other major league owner they're richer than god so oh well they spent some money here that doesn't actually preclude them from spending more on another guy they might tell you it does but they, they could always just keep spending and we've seen that in places like san diego where there there doesn't seem to be a limit there doesn't seem to be a budget line so you can still evaluate deals of whether you know whether they paid more than the market said they should have but just because they do that doesn't mean they're screwed out of signing any player ever again because their money's all tied up. Like they could always just spend more. Yeah. You know, I do want to give them credit also. So for, for being realistic about how to build a winner, if you look at their lineup, like six of the nine in the entire starting lineup are external acquisitions, either through free agent settings or trades. I mean, Seager, Lowe was a trade. Adolos Garcia was a waiver warrior pick. Heim was a trade. Garver was a trade. Um, you know, and so, and then their pitching was all external acquisitions in terms of the um, uh, the rotation and a couple of relievers as well. So what that says is they, even though they had a decent farm, they didn't, they were realistic about like who could contribute from that farm. Like, you know, that Josh Young's probably going to be a good starter, but like there wasn't like a superstar necessarily and, you know, really like elite talent coming up. There was a lot of depth. You know, if you look at uh, Eric Longenhagen's fan graphs thing, it was like Texas Rangers top 58 prospects because he goes down to like the 35 plus level. But it, it was all like, you know, 45s and 40s and 35s. It wasn't like 60s and 70s. You know, there wasn't those kinds of guys. And so they realized in order to build a winner quickly, they had to acquire them externally, either through free uh, agency or trade. So good for them for, for recognizing that, I think. And that actually that actually situates them quite well. This deadline, I think, you know, taking a step back, and we we haven't talked a ton about the Rangers. I know we talked about like some surprising buyers and sellers on the last episode, and I don't think we even gave them much much time. But they've been great. They're they're leading the West. They're five games ahead of the Astros. That's impressive. Mm -hmm. um, and they're they're clearly going to be buyers at the deadline. And given the deadline this year, you know, there aren't really any super duper star type guys available unless you know obviously the otani of it all he's the he's the asterisk he's the exception as he always is um or like depending on what you think about shane bieber but beyond that there's a lot of these kind of more depthy guys more like one or two year guys who are like kind of okay kind of mid to back end starters kind of you know decent middle to back of the lineup bats like there's a lot of those type of guys and so a team like the Rangers with a very deep farm of non-elite prospects, that's this isn't a bad deadline for them. Like they no. can they can package a handful of those guys and fill their needs without really hitting yeah. their farm too hard. They don't need a superstar talent to get the guy they want. They can get a back end starter to give them some depth and a couple relievers because they could they could definitely use a couple in the bullpen there and maybe an outfielder and 
really mm -hmm. not put too much of a dent into that farm system and, and make their team meaningfully better for the stretch run. So I think they're well situated. I totally agree. I could see them using, I mean, needing one more bat, maybe zigging while there's a zagging, like, okay, we've got our starters, let's get a bat. While everybody else is looking at the starting pitching market, they, like, let's look over here in the corner where nobody's talking to these guys, <laughs> so, like, doing that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, uh, I think they will be buyers and good for them. Speculation, maybe one of the Giants' many outfielders makes some sense for them. Right now, they're starting Travis Jankowski pretty often, and that's not really ideal. I think he's in right. kind of a platoon with Robbie Grossman, which is fine, I guess, if that's like the worst spot in your lineup. But if, if you're looking for positions to upgrade, that looks like one. So maybe they can work something out with the Giants, grab a reliever in the deal too. I, I see something there. Yeah. I mean, granted, there's not... You know, we haven't talked about the whole picture of the trade deadline. It's, it's outside of Otani. There's not, you know, like superstars necessarily available. There's just a lot of guys who can kind of sort of plug in, you know, but not a lot of great options. Um, but it, the market is still forming, and we haven't really gotten to the nitty-gritty of it yet. And um, I just happened to notice on uh, MLB Network Radio today, Thad Levine of the Twins was saying, yeah, we're talking to everybody, and everybody's talking to everybody, but he admitted – the you know the market is is still weird he's like well people are trying to sort of maybe get creative and say match a buyer up with another buyer like you need a pitcher and need an outfielder kind of thing even though so it's not the typical sort of discussion where i'm trading from my farm to get a veteran you're trading a veteran to get your farm better it's more like okay well there's not that many sellers so what do you need what do i need and they see they're trying to match up that way yeah, I, I think we will see teams get creative just because they kind of have to. Because we've talked mm -hmm. about everyone needs starting pitching. Well, all the pitchers are kind of hurt. And there's there's not a whole lot left on these teams that are clearly out of it. And there's not quite as many teams who are clearly out of it with the additional playoff spots that we've seen the last couple of years. So. Yeah, and I also think maybe given the lack of pitching on the market, some teams might say, you know what, maybe we should just load up on offense. You know, because that's really our only shot. And maybe they go into the playoffs with, okay, we'll just do bullpens and, and hopefully outscore them. You know, that's another strategy you could take. I could see it. And I'm one other thought that pops into my mind is maybe some team goes, if we can't prevent runs with pitching, let's upgrade our defense a bit. I'm not, mm -hmm. I don't have any, any names coming to mind of who that could be done with. Um, I guess if the Blue Jays fall out of it, maybe a Kevin Kiermeyer, but uh, that's, that's a half baked thought that, uh, I would need to put more put more research into before I said anything definitive, but I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a team go, yeah, we went this route instead of instead of upgrading pitching because of the, the high price for what few arms are available. Yeah. Um. All right, moving on to another injured arm. Um, I'm a little bit particularly bummed about this one because this was my shot in the dark call, and I, it <laughs> appears to have already missed. Uh, so the Red Sox placed Chris Sale on the 60-day injured list. Yeah, last podcast you were like, hey, Chris Sale. I'm like, <laughs> okay. I I felt a little bit good about it as like a like the kind of thing that I'd, I'd feel so good about if it happened. Like I'd, I'd, I'd feel real proud of myself if I called that one from, <laughs> from left field. Uh, uh no, not happening. Uh, he's injured. Um, I believe it's a shoulder. Yeah, stress reaction in his shoulder blade, which doesn't sound very good. Um, he's not going to have surgery, but he's going to be shut down for a few weeks, and then he'll have to ramp back up. So 60-day injured list. Um, 
obviously not good for the Red Sox. I mean, he hasn't quite been vintage Chris Sale or anything, but they need all the help they can get. They're really doing everything they can to stay afloat in that division, and it's it gets harder every day with, <laughs> with how good those other teams are there. Um, so they're still in last place, 32 and 33. They would be in second place in the AL Central, uh, but that's that's not where they are. <laughs> um, so I, I, I don't want to say this is like the death blow for them or anything because like i just got finished saying it's not like he was vintage chris sale or anything but this is a team that really couldn't afford to lose anything further and this is another loss for them and so i think it's time for them to really start thinking about it and a name that we didn't discuss too much because it didn't you know i'm I'm not putting any i didn't want to put any stock in this guy prematurely given how his last handful of years have gone but james paxton is I know, right? Pitching pretty well for them. I don't think any team is going to be, you know. Well, he's made of glass. For exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't think any team is going to go, all right, we have a pitching need and we acquire James Paxton. He's going to make 10 starts from us down the stretch. We're done. That's we, We've solved our need. <laughs> I don't think any team is that naive. Um, But he could be a really interesting add for a team that can kind of mix him in, you know, maybe – Maybe he is kind of a swingman role to to limit his innings a bit more. I'm not I'm not sure. He's he's positioning himself if he can make it through the next month and a half healthy, which is a massive if. Uh, but if he can, he's positioned himself to be a really interesting deadline target. Yeah, I mean, look, everyone knows he's made of glass. He is in his favor. He is well. Not in his favor, but from an acquisition point of view, he's not making that much money this year. The Red Sox picked him up, I think, for only like $4 million, which is odd. Um, but So he's outperforming his contract, so that means he has some surplus value, which is good. But it's not going to, you know, the return is not going to knock anyone's socks off, so let's be clear about that. Um, their best trade ship is actually Alex Verdugo, who um, now, if the, you know, he's got um, one year left of control after this. Teams always like to buy if they get another control. Of course, they have to overpay, pay a lot more for it because you get that. Uh, and Verdugo's having a good year. Um, so, you know, he's, if they do want to seriously talk about like restocking a little bit, there's your trade chip right there. Um, you know, I'm sure they'll get some calls about Kenley Jansen, but he's on an expensive contract. He's not with surplus. Same with a couple other guys, Chris Martin. Yeah, but, you know, it's really kind of. The roster is kind of there's got some they've got some holes right so some guys were underperforming Kike Hernandez is not good this year so like there's not much to to trade right it's just Verdugo and maybe Paxton I think you're gonna get any sort of positive return it would be very high and bloom of them to take advantage of the pitching situation on the market and consider moving one of their young arms uh, yeah. If they did get an overpay for it, you know, I, I, there's no name on this, this list, this, this roster resource chart that jumps out at me as the guy they would do it with. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe Tanner Houck, who mm-hmm. I'm not actually sure he's a starter, but if another team is convinced that he is and wants to give you something good for it, maybe, maybe Heim takes that deal. Um, just, yeah. just kind of capitalizing on it. And if, if you're not going to win this season anyway, you can always reevaluate next season you know you have Corey kluber who has been terrible he'll come off the books paxton will be either traded or off the books and then you can reevaluate next offseason add some arms then mm-hmm. um 
So maybe I'm, I'm squinting real hard, <laughs> but, yeah. but like you said, there's just not a lot here that other teams would even really line up for. They got a couple injured pitchers who would maybe have some lower level interest if and when they're healthy. John Schreiber, Richard Blyer, guys like that mm. could fill out a bullpen for someone. If they're healthy, um, yeah. I'm not sure about Verdugo, if I'm being honest. Um, like, like I think you're right that he is one of their more natural trade chips and more logical, but you wonder if there's some of that, oh, he's he's the main piece of the Mookie Betts deal and he's our guy, and they they might think that they might still think there's something more there, even though I lean, you know, he's 27 and he's kind of shown us who he is that he's this 110 to 120 WRC plus bat where kind of average-ish defense and he's not going to stand out in any way but he's going to be you know he's an average regular yeah exactly yeah, yeah. that's it anyway I'll, I'll give him some credit he's actually already at 1.9 for the season i know so i know i know i can see we just talked about the rangers i could see him playing left field for yeah, the rangers i could see it um i could also see him being seen as an extension candidate there where they they want to mm-hmm. keep him in town just to keep some continuity there and you know he's a he's a solid player so why not but mm-hmm but, but yeah, if, if you're going beyond that, there's not a whole lot here. Duvall, Justin Turner, mm-hmm. eh. <laughs> someone <laughs> takes a chance on Hernandez. I know, I know, as you just mm-hmm. finished saying, he's not playing well, but yeah. you know, he he could have value as a bench guy. I'm sure the Dodgers would love to have him back, given all their injuries. Um, just a yeah. quick note that I I could have mentioned earlier. Uh, they did also extend Rob Refsnyder for a year. I didn't think it was necessarily worth spending too much time no. on, but yeah. uh, they yeah. just just uh, covered his next uh, yeah. arbitration year in advance, and he's he's been a solid little short side platoon guy for them. So good yeah, for him, good for them. Thirty-two, so he's just a yeah, he's a right, he's a bench platoon guy, not much. Yeah. All right, um, hopping to those guardians that we've referenced a couple times here. Uh, they designated Zach Plezak for assignment. Pretty surprising. Um, I saw I saw a very funny tweet. I don't know I don't know who it was. I'll, I'll try to find it and include it in the notes. But um, someone compiled screenshots from fans of all 29 other teams saying that their team should pick up Zach Plesac <laughs> once he was DFA'd, <laughs> which is kind of just how it, it's a great example of the Guardians pitching machine at work. Not not to say that Zach Plesac is actually a superstar not to say that they were not justified in cutting him because he hasn't been pitching well and he's had his share of off-field issues as well and they do just they just have next man up on the pitching side over there where they always have somebody ready to fill in and if somebody falls short then we, we have somebody better waiting that can replace you and that's really what happened to Plesak here um so yeah not not saying they were they weren't justified in making the move at all, but I'm honestly surprised he hasn't been moved yet. Um, I know. What's the what's the time limit on this thing? He was DFA'd on June 4th, and today's the 11th. I thought it so would need to be week. sorted out by now. I thought it was 10 days. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So they may be. I'm sure there's a little bit of trade interest. Uh, interest. He does have a little bit of surplus value because he's had some success in the past. Um, I do think the off-field issues scare some people away, you know, and maybe there's some coachability issues there. I'm just speculating, but, you know, usually, even though the Guardians are pitching rich and they have a factory and all that, um, 
he's been kind of on the outs with them, but um, you know, usually there's, you know, they don't DFA a guy with, you know, who's had some success in the past without good reason, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So there must have been a good reason for them to do that. Like he just wasn't getting along with them or listening to their ideas or what have you. And then, you know, there's some other off field issues that have been reported. So anyway, there's a little bit of baggage there. Um, and also he hasn't been pitching well. So those, I guess, are two reasons right there. I just answered my question. Well, the Oakland A's are at the top of the waiver wire list by uh-huh. by by virtue of having the worst record in baseball, uh-huh. um, and they are clearly not afraid of a pitching using pitchers who have been terrible this season, or b <laughs> off field issues. That neither of those two things scare them at all, <laughs> as we've seen this this season from them. So he he seems like a no brainer for them, but maybe uh. I don't know if you're if you're totally out on him then or maybe he's too expensive for them or (laughs) that kind of thing um yeah you know there is still time i'm not we're we're jumping the gun a little bit here it's it's not like he has already cleared waivers and wow none of the 29 teams actually took a flyer on him we're not at that point yet i still think it's pretty likely in the next couple days we find out that he's uh he's joining a new team uh someone's gonna take a chance on this given you know, someone mm-hmm. someone will bite their tongue with the off-field stuff and with how his performance has been this season, and just say we need pitching that bad. We're gonna we're gonna try it at least. And worst case, we just cut him down the road. Yeah. Do the Rays bite on him? That was my thought as pitching. I was saying that sentence. Yeah. I was like, hang on a second. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they love fixing guys. So Obviously, it has there. to make it. He has to make it to them. Yeah, in, in right. the waiver order. No, but they could jump the gun and, and trade. For yeah, him. yeah, give him a little Alika Williams kind of prospect or something. Mm-hmm. So maybe. Yeah. Uh, like I said, with with the twenty nine teams all saying they should take a flyer, I don't think any team would surprise me too much here mm-hmm. uh, on on taking him. But yeah, teams a team like the Rays makes sense. A, a team like the A's or Pirates or maybe not the Royals. They they mm. I don't know what they're doing, but. <laughs> <laughs> They're selling already. They're uh, selling. Yeah. We'll get to that. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, or look at the seamless transition. The Blue Jays have an open spot in their rotation because they've optioned Alec Manoa to the minors to actually to, to the Florida Coast League. Um, and and there were a lot of people kind of clowning on that, but I've seen some breakdowns kind of explaining why yeah. the Florida Coast Coast League it's it's one of the better developmental levels. It has some of the better facilities. Right. Um, better coaching, That's where their line or at least, is. Yeah, yeah, or at least it should for a well-run organization. It should be a strong level because that's that's where you turn amateurs into professional ball players is, is at that low level, and so you really need to give everyone the attention and, and help that they deserve. And so it's it's not a bad spot, especially for a guy who clearly, you know, I, I've seen a couple breakdowns on Fangraphs and other places of what's what's going on with Manila. His velo's down. His stuff isn't moving the way it would. He's not locating it well. It's kind of just across the board. He's he's just pitching poorly. <laughs> you know, things have just gotten worse across the board. And when that happens, especially, you know, he wasn't necessarily a hard thrower. And so if you take a tick off a guy who's kind of around league average velocity, that's mm-hmm. like it, it's velocity and its relation to success is not linear. Mm-hmm. You know, the extra tick from average to slightly above average isn't isn't worth the same as the extra tick from 99 to 100 like 
there there's there's a cliff there where if you drop to below average velo it's it's bad <laughs> uh and, and you gotta well, have something else to back it up pitcher, right exactly I mean, you, we can talk about no Syndergaard in a moment too as well but he hasn't learned to pitch having lost his velocity some guys do some guys don't and that's you know that is a big transition exactly and at least Syndergaard, you would think has some some plus stuff to back it up um or at least he, he used to i i haven't looked too deep into it to see if his slider's moving the same way. I'm going to guess it isn't, given how poorly yeah. he's pitched. Um, yeah. But with Manoa, at the same time as this, like I said, everything else is taking a step back. And so if you're going to drop into that below average velo range, you got to have the other stuff take a step up, not the other yeah. direction. And right. so it you seems locate, like there are... you got to change yeah. sequences. you got to do all the other stuff that's pitching, you know? It seems like there are significant mechanical changes that need to happen. And, and potentially, you know, there's, uh, I'm not getting into the, there's a lot of fat jokes that get made about him. And I think that's stupid. Hmm. Um, but I'm just hmm. saying broadly, if there's a conditioning thing, if one of, if, you know, his plant leg isn't holding up and then that uh-huh. might be contributing to it, there, there could be something like that. Yeah. Um, things like that will be easier for him to fix at this lower level with nothing else to worry about. And it's just got to be brutal for him. Like this is a guy who was a, one of the oh. top Cy Young finishers yeah. last year. And yeah. now he just can't pitch. He Remember can't in the get All-Star outs. game? He was like joking around and yeah. mic'd up and he was super confident. And he's yeah, and good. he yeah, he has been such a confident guy. He's been all over Twitter about it. And I know there's some people like dunking on those old tweets, which I think is also mm. kind of lame. Mm. Um, but he's it's gotta be rough mentally to go from that to this. And so yeah. it's it's twofold, you know, it's a better level for him to go fix his mechanics and, and really get the care and time and attention that he needs as opposed to being, you know, Alec Manoa and then four other top prospects in the rotation that also need our attention. Um, yeah. So, so, so it's good for that purpose and to, to reset him mentally, get him a break, let him pitch in some situations that don't really matter and just focus on him. Yeah. So, I, so first of all, the level gets overplayed. It's not about the level. It's about that's where the pitching lab is and that's where, you know, they, they, We'll break it down and try to fix it. So it just happens to be located there. Um, but the second thing I would say is um, I went to a couple of minor league games last summer at in, in that Florida Coast League, and um, I happened to see Eduardo Rodriguez on his re- one of his rehab starts. And I think there was a similar sort of situation there because he had come off of a long layoff for other reasons, mind you, but still he needed to kind of rehab. And uh, and they use that level. It seems like oh, it's not just the Blue Jays, but the Tigers obviously were using it, that level as to kind of a regroup, reset. Let's get it going. No pressure. And uh, it seems like a good league for doing that. And the other one of the other potential benefits of it is uh, you can kind of count on it a little bit more. And it's it's why that that league is there. And there's the Arizona League in Arizona, and it's why we have spring training in both locations. Is it's a little bit more predictable weather wise, and you know. Not 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 to say that this time of year we're going to have too many rainouts in other spots, but you can make sure if we need this guy pitching every five days or whatever, it, it's a little bit safer that it's not going to get rained out and throw a wrench in your plans. Um, okay, so that's it for you know the transaction related news. Um, now we're into kind of just a couple rumors to touch on. Um, so there was a Ken Rosenthal article from a handful of days ago i'll go ahead and link it in the show notes show notes it is from the athletics so it is paywalled um main takeaways here the phillies aren't selling that's that shouldn't be a surprise <laughs> um 
Dombrowski can pretend nobody heard my my Aaron Nola idea from a couple episodes ago. Let's let's erase that from from our minds. That never happened. What are you talking about? What Aaron Nola idea? Um, they're they're not <laughs> selling, and I don't think anybody's surprised by that. I don't think either of us have too much to break down there. Too much to add yeah. there, right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, they they went from barely making the wild card to the World Series last year. And they've got Dombrowski, and he's all with a major league roster, so he's not selling. Right, and I guess it's notable that, and we've said this before too, it's it's nothing new either, but it's notable that they have a couple top pitching prospects who could be making an impact soon. Um, Andrew Painter is starting to make his way back. Griff McGarry might get a look in the bigs. Uh, Noah Song actually started, his, started throwing a little bit uh, recently, I saw. And Mick Abel? Um, yeah, McAble. So they, they have some names there where mm -hmm. theoretically they could use one of those guys as a trade chip, but if not, they'll be decent late season reinforcements for them potentially. Mm -hmm. um, the more interesting note in this article was about the Royals, like, like you mentioned earlier, and about specifically Aroldis Chapman, who's already getting some trade buzz. Um, it's shocking, but he kind of looks like he's back. <laughs> like no right i thought he was cooked i thought it was just uh and we all did were the royals let's take a flyer on the guy but mm -hmm. he's like hitting 103 mm -hmm. <laughs> like mm -hmm. he was struggling to hit 98 99 toward the end of his yankee days and then he didn't show up to a workout and got left off the playoff roster and that whole controversy but yeah it's been really good and teams are going to be all over that you know he, his fastball is up two ticks compared to last year his average fastball has a 282 ERA. He's striking everyone out again. Still a handful of walks, but that's just that's just who he is at this point in his career. Um, he's on a cheap one-year deal. Every team needs relievers. Every team needs late-inning help. Uh, he's he's gonna find a new home. Uh, but the more more interesting part about this, like it's not surprising that teams are checking in on him, given how good he's been and uh, the rental and um, how out of it the Royals are. So no surprise there that teams are checking in. The perhaps more surprising part is that the Royals are supposedly, or reportedly, I should say, um, trying to offload some payroll in a Chapman deal. They're trying to package him with another player. Uh, there's two names that Rosenthal mentioned in the article here. One that seems to make a little more sense is Scott Barlow. He's in arbitration and comes with an additional year of arbitration. He's only making 5.3 million, so it's not like, you know, they're really getting an albatross off the books or anything, but it's an interesting enough pairing, and, you know, you figure if a team needs one reliever, they probably need two. <laughs> so uh, even though Barlow hasn't quite been his great self this year, his peripherals are better than his baseline ERA, and he has been really good the last two years, so not hard to imagine a team being interested in acquiring him as well, and that's a great that's a great way to revamp your bullpen is to get those two guys. You're suddenly yeah. feeling a lot better about it. One, two, punch. Um, yeah. yeah. So that's the more obvious solution. But a name that Rosenthal goes into a surprising amount of depth on here is Salvador Perez. I don't see it. Don't see it at all. Yeah, like yeah. even... There, I don't see it at all from two different angles. That's how, that's how much I don't see it. The, the first angle is just, you know, the the in a vacuum of it. The he's an albatross. He's way underwater. They'd have to pay down a lot. They're not getting much back. It's not it, it's just not feasible. It's not a 
type of trade we see very often where, hey, you want our rental reliever? Take our mid-30s catcher who's owed however much it is down the stra- down the next few years. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Da-da, da-da. Okay. I'm trying to pull it up. I'll look it up. Uh, looks like he's making $20 million the next couple of years. Um, so probably about 50 million the rest of the way. Like if you, if you want our rental reliever, this is the price you'll have to pay. Like we've never seen that before. Yeah. So he's out 56. We have his field value at 39.9. So he's underwater by 16.1. Yeah. And that's not, you know, that's nothing too crazy dramatic, but that's definitely more underwater than Chapman is above water. And so you're looking at, eating some contract and probably not getting all that much back in return as a prospect. That's just weird. And then the, the other side of it, which I think is even more compelling is that he's Mr. Royal at this point, right? Like he was named a captain coming into this season and he's been the guy he's been there forever. And I know that a lot of teams for a lot of teams that wouldn't matter too much, but for the Royals, it's really always seemed like it does matter. They, you think back to how they did not break up their core after the World Series run. They didn't trade Hosmer when he when he was about to become a free agent. They didn't trade Kane. Um, I don't think they traded Moustakis. Um, but but they kept that whole core intact, even despite you know toward the end there they were falling out of it. They weren't in playoff contention, and they had some teams interested in those guys, but they just hung on to them because they were Royals, and then and that's how they did it. And I know that they have new leadership now, quote unquote, new leadership now with uh, Piccolo taking over, but I, I still don't see it. I, it, I still don't see it given, you know, the captain designation and how much they, they clearly value him as a leader in that franchise. And then the other end of it is, you know, there were concerns about how they would make room for him and MJ Melendez at the big league level, but Melendez hasn't been good. <laughs> I mean, Maybe right. part of that is that he's not playing his natural position enough, but there were also concerns as a prospect of whether he was a a defensive catcher or would have to switch to another position. Right. So I don't think that's I don't think he's forcing the issue enough where it's like, all right, we gotta trade this guy. So I yeah. I, I don't see it. Yeah, I, I have all the same uh thoughts as you um, but I just wanted to sort of give a little bit of insight here. So my read of it anyway, I have no inside information, but um if you package Chapman, so right now we have Chapman's surplus value at 6.4 and Barlow around 11. So you put those two together, you're getting a package of around 17, 18, let's say. And that's like a 50-level prospect, a pitching prospect at 50 or like a couple of 45s. Um, so that's a better return. And so what my read of that is that, like, yeah, we want – like we don't have the greatest farm for the Royals, and we should have a better farm, but we don't. And Scott Harris, I believe, no, it's Garrett, uh, JJ Piccolo, um, probably wants to say, okay, we we're not close to competing, so let's restock the farm. If you if you package those two together, you might get quality more than quantity. So I think that's what that's all about. That's the first point. Second point is, it's still silly season. It's going to get sillier. You get a lot of sort of weird, rampant rumors here and there from some guy who knows some guy who knows some guy, and it's the telephone game. And so then people start to run with that because there's no other news, and then it gets blown out of proportion. Like, all of that is so much noise, and we're going to get a lot of noise between now and the deadline. And then the deadline will, like, okay, here's what's really happening. So I would just take all of that as a grain of salt. And my The Salvador Perez thing is, like, 
yeah, we'd love to save some money and we need to rebuild, but it's saving money is probably not number one unless it feels like restocking their farm should be a better point, a higher point of priority. So packaging Chapman and Barlow would do that job. So if you if you just traded Chapman alone, you know, you you know, if he's if our numbers are correct, maybe it goes up a little bit more between now and the deadline. You know, maybe you get like a 45 prospect out of that. So yeah, that'll help, but it's not going to game change anyone's farm rankings all that much. But if you package him with like a ten or eleven guy like Barlow, who has another year of control, then you've got a fifty. Like I said, then you've got like a top three prospect in your farm. That's going to make a little bit more of an impact. So I just think that's what that's about. Yeah, that that seems like it to me. Um, I, I guess it's worth noting that the way uh, the way Rosenthal noted it is one club that spoke with the Royals interpreted the team's desire to attach Chapman to another player as an indication it wanted to move its highest priced asset catcher, Salvador Perez. Mm. Uh, so that, it's not quite him saying, mm-hmm. hey, the Royals are shopping Sal Perez. It's mm-hmm. someone who spoke to the Royals interpreted it that way, that that might uh-huh. be what they're trying to do. And so <laughs> okay. there's a whole like four levels of uncertainty there. Yeah, so, right. Okay. I, I, I think that makes sense. Right. Um Last kind of rumor I want to get into is just generally relief help and and the names that have been mentioned. Uh, So Rosenthal mentioned the Nationals, Kyle Finnegan, Hunter Harvey, Carl Edwards Jr., and the Tigers, Alec Lang, Will Vest, and Jason Foley. Um, Some other names that are not so much rumored, but more speculated on in in this MLB.com article that I have pulled up as well, which will also be in the show notes. Uh, Manuel Classe, which I think is unlikely. David mm-hmm. Bednar, which we also discussed and, and both consider unlikely. And Alexis Diaz. Those are the three mm-hmm. like yeah, higher right. end of the market guys. Controllable arms, real yep. lockdown late inning arms. Uh, as opposed to the kind of pop-up guy, middle relief. You know, th- those type of guys that were mentioned from the Nationals and Tigers bullpens. Um, do any of those names stand out to you in particular as either, oh, this guy's having a nice season and he could be a pretty attractive arm, or the other end of it of it's just not happening? So I wasn't surprised by any of them because I've been doing a lot of updates myself. And, and, you know, so I start with who are the sellers, what do they have, look at their bullpen. Oh, Finnegan, he's not having a good year. But, you know, he's had some success a little bit in the past. You know, right right now the surplus value is one or two, somewhere in that range. So you're not going to get you much. Hunter Harvey's having a better year, um, so he's going to get you a little bit more, and I think he has more control if I uh, double-check that. Um, Carl Edward Jr., eh, not so much. The Tigers guys, when I looked at the Tigers guys, I was very impressed. Um, A, because they're pitching well, they've got some bullpen strength there, and B, they're youngish, and they've got lots of years of control. So that's a good thing from a trade value perspective, but it's also unlikely that the Tigers would move them because they already moved the guys with less control. They already moved Soto and Joe Jimenez in the offseason because so, they wanted to rebuild, and those were the chips they had. Now they've got some young guys, and they probably don't want to move those young guys. I could be wrong. Uh, Scott Harris will trade what he wants to trade and look at the bigger picture in the longer term, but it seems unlikely. Um, now, I will caveat that by saying relievers are – you know, volatile. I'm not breaking any news here. So you might want to trade while their value is hot. If he gets an overpay like he did with Gregory Soto, yeah, maybe he says, hmm, that's interesting because that fills another hole. So I won't rule it out, um, but it seems less likely. The, the the Nationals guys, yeah, sure, they'll move those because, you know, they don't have much control and why not? 
Um, the other guys we just talked about um, seem less likely, but all, a lot of that could change between now and then. If the Reds are not in contention, and they're probably not, um, would they move Diaz? He's got four years of control, probably not, um, but you never know. They could get an overpay from the Mets, for example. Everyone loves to speculate about the Mets getting Diaz because he's the younger brother of Edwin Diaz, and wouldn't that be a nice story? Yeah, sure. But they'd have to overpay quite a bit because he's a really good young reliever, and like his brother was at that age, he's really valuable. So they'd have to pay a lot. So anyway, I, I see all these things because I'm running the numbers, and so you know, some are more likely than others. It's funny that you said the Nationals will trade those guys because they don't have much control. And I know you were talking about team control, but they also just don't have control. Over <laughs> Actual <pitches>. control. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, right. That's probably the um, problem. <laughs> um, quick on-the-spot question. Of those three like upper-tier guys, Classe, Bednar, and Diaz, I, I think I agree with you that they're all pretty unlikely to get moved, but if you had to pick one as being most likely, which which one is your pick? Diaz, because the Reds okay. are probably farther away, and the Pirates are making some noise this year, like we talked about, and so I don't think they're gonna. I don't think they'd want to trade Bednar because I think they think, hey, you know what? We're probably a playoff team, if not this year, then next year, and he's got three more years controller. I think it is after. So the, why not have him as a closer on a protect, potential playoff team for three years? So I don't think they want to move him at all. Uh, Clause no. He's first of all, he's on a ridiculously cheap contract. The Guardians know this, and the Guardians are always trying to kind of keep the line moving and be competitive with their starters. So, I even if they don't make the playoffs this year, they're they have an eye towards making it next year, and he's on a long term friendly contract. So, I don't see that being moved at all. So, I think Diaz maybe is the most likely, and they're all unlikely, but I think Diaz is like the less unlikely, if you will, <laughs> of those three. Class A is like. I don't think Class A gets moved, and I, I think he is one of the less likely uh, of the three. But he intrigues me. I, I could put myself in the Guardian's shoes and see it being, you know, the galaxy brain where he's not pitching like he has the last two years. Honestly, he's having arguably the worst season of his career. Um, And, and maybe if you get a team to overpay and, and pay like he is having that 136 ERA year from from 2022 or 129 ERA year from 2021. Like if you can get a team to value him like that, then then maybe you pull the trigger. And, and with the Guardians and their cost, constant roster churn and pitching churn. Uh, but on the other hand, I don't think you can get anyone to pay that price. I think we we discussed it before that that low contract plus how good he's been just makes yeah. him puts him into a tier where it's like. It's it's hard for any team, even if he is worth that much, it's hard for any team to justify trading that much for a single reliever who could just go kaput at any time. Yeah, there's like an upper limit to that, I think, yeah. So the one that I'm, I'm not hearing anybody talk about but is starting to emerge as a potential possibility, I'm just going to throw this name out there, is Paul Seawald of the Mariners. The Mariners are surprisingly not good this year. They're 10 games behind... They're under 500. They were hoping to be a, a playoff team. But as time goes on, if this continues, they may be sellers. Paul Seawald has been one of the best relievers in baseball, and he only has a year of control left after this. So we just run the numbers yesterday on him, and he's he's got surplus value of about 15 right now, which is a little bit more affordable than those other guys we just mentioned, and he's been lights out as a closer. So I can see them taking some calls on him. 
that is really intriguing. It's one of those cases where on June 11th, it's it's tough to say because they they do want to be contenders and um, they're going to have to see how it goes. But they do have, you know, a decent bullpen. It's what allowed them to include Eric Swanson in the Teoscar Hernandez deal over the offseason. And they do have kind of a de facto next man up to be their late inning guy in Andres Munoz, who's back mm-hmm. healthy now. Right. And and Matt Brash, you know, the ERA is a little high, but he's disgusting. Yeah, Topa's good. And they have a couple they... of those like middle inning names that have been solid for them. Penn Murphy, Gabe Spire. Yeah. Um, so I I could see it if they get a good offer for him. And, and especially, you know, tying back to what you said earlier, where one of those trades between two buyers, if they traded him as part of a deal for a big league bat, mm-hmm. I think that could be really interesting mm-hmm. for them yeah i think they yeah. consider it yeah yeah I mean, they, they, yeah the mariners they have this knack for turning guys who you wouldn't suspect into really good relievers justin topa being the latest example um seawald was a cast off and they they found the key with him so there's something going on there in seattle and uh, i like it someday they're gonna they're gonna make it click for brash and he's going <laughs> yeah. to be the best reliever in baseball <laughs> yeah I, I i no doubt he's got the stuff for it yeah he's been a little yeah. bit unlucky um but i think he's got but his underlying metrics are really good yeah all right so last thing for today uh we haven't done this in a while but i figured it'd be nice to get back to especially with the deadline coming up uh trade of the week uh so this one is coming from user it's me johnny o and it has the yankees getting shane bieber at 39.2 In exchange, the Guardians received Jason Dominguez at 29.9, Estevan Floreal at 0.7, Kyle Higashioka at 1.5, and Elijah Dunham at 2.4. So it's 39.2 to the Yankees, 34.5 to the Guardians. I think part of why you see that gap there, uh, you know, it's accepted by the model, obviously, otherwise it wouldn't get posted on the site. But there's a bit of a gap in the value there. I think that's because everyone's kind of like, everyone kind of wants Bieber, but also doesn't want Bieber. <laughs> or <laughs> yeah. like, he's you been... like the idea of Bieber, but he is yeah. scary. Yeah, he's given been a bit the of a injuries. falling knife. Yeah, exactly. And, and nobody wants, especially if you're talking about a Yankees fan, which I'm not, you know, I don't want to make any assumptions about this user, but it might be a safe guess that, that they're a Yankees fan. Um, no, he's a Cleveland fan. I've seen oh, his posts. Okay, yeah. then. Yeah. Well, well, especially a Yankees fan probably wouldn't be lining up to overpay for Shane Bieber after what happened with Frankie Montas mm. um, and, and I guess Sonny Gray before him. <laughs> um, but what do you think about this framework? Obviously, the Guardians have had some outfield issues. Jason Dominguez is such a polarizing prospect. Uh, what do you yeah, think here? Yeah, the thing that intrigued me most, so it's basically the return is basically Jason Dominguez and some spare parts, right? So... So ignore the spare parts for the moment. It's really Bieber for Dominguez. Both have their their warts a little bit because Bieber's not having a, his usual year, and he seems like he's losing his his stuff and his velocity's down, and so maybe he's a falling knife. But if you look at Jason Dominguez, and I did um, actually just this morning when I was putting this up, I'm like, oh, he's not having a good year either. <laughs> um, not to say he's a falling knife because he's so young still, and he's young for his level. He's 20 years old in Double A, but he's batting 203. Uh, now, granted, that's a ba- that's a basic batting average, but he's look if he's the hyped guy, if he's the Martian uh, at this point, and he's repeating Double A. Well, not repeating. He had a few games last year, but he's only got a 110. He's barely above average, 
in you would expect a little bit more from that being that he's such a hyped prospect and so now and this is in addition to the fact that he's been not quite living up to the hype a little bit in previous years as well and so the storyline here is sort of like he's not as great a prospect as people think and so maybe you get kind of a eh, Bieber's not as great as you think eh you make it sound as great as you think, and it kind of matches. That's what I liked about it. I have a hot take here, John. <laughs> okay. I think Jason Dominguez is underrated. Oh, it is a hot take. Okay. So, All right, counterpoint. Point counterpoint. I, you know, for my for this whole time leading up to him, I've I've been kind of on that page of yeah, he's let's cool the Jets a little bit. People are comparing the guy to Mickey Mantle already. That's not fair. Let's let's cool the Jets. Yankees fans being ridiculous, et cetera, et cetera. And then he had that kind of, you know, he had a solid year last year, but didn't light the world on fire necessarily. And, and you know, he's kind of settled into the mid-range of a top 100 list. And then, yeah, you're right. His, his numbers don't look great this year, but he is a 20-year-old. He is at double A, and he's walking almost as much as he strikes out. Like, he's not striking yeah. out a ton, and that was one of True. the fears with him is that, you know, toolsy guy, but might be... Uh, struggling to make contact at times the, what his issue is is that he's got a really low BABIP he's got a 239 BABIP and I know minor league BABIPs can be more indicative than major league BABIPs because just the quality of of the defense is lower in the minor leagues so if you are hitting the ball harder it, it correlates with a higher BABIP uh, better than that would in the major leagues but Jason Dominguez isn't a guy we've ever been concerned about whether he can hit the ball hard right like that's that's one of his things is like he, he mm-hmm. yeah. maybe not to the Ellie de la Cruz level or anything or, or Stanton if you want to stick with the Yankees, mm-hmm. but he hits the ball hard. That's that's part of what he does. So I, I would be concerned if he was had this 203 average and a 33 percent strikeout rate, but he's at 25.1, which is like fairly manageable for him, I would feel like. And he's still hitting for power. He's still running. He's walking a ton. I think there's a lot to like here. I think uh, I don't have any batted ball data, so maybe he's just pounding the ball into the ground, and that's why this is happening. Uh, maybe maybe I need to do more research here on this, but just glancing at the stat lines, which is always what you should do with prospects, right? Yeah. <laughs> just, just scout the stat lines. <laughs> right. um, but just glancing at it, I, I see a guy who might catch fire here soon and kind of go back to being that guy that everyone's losing their minds over. And I mean... Part of that is, you know, even if 20, he's a 20-year-old young for the level in double-A, honestly, it feels like that's not even young anymore. Like, like you see so many hyped prospects getting to the bigs at 21, 22, and yeah, it's like right. he's he's still a little bit ways away from that. Yeah. But it is still impressive, and prospect growth isn't linear. Um, actually, Fangraphs does have his batted ball data, and it looks pretty normal. He's hitting a lot of fly balls. He's not hitting too many grounders like i think he's fine he's not pulling the ball in an exceptional amount compared to his last handful of years so maybe he's maybe he's just been unlucky i don't know i'm yeah, intrigued look, i'm look i'm not a scout and i'm not gonna pretend to be so all i know is um the set line does kind of matter because you see i've seen very strong correlation between how you're doing relative to the level and your trade value and so the guys who are popping are the ones people want the guys who are struggling the, are the ones that people don't want and the ones are just sort of middling or like, eh. So it matters. And even though batting average is not a thing anymore, eh, a lot of 
people still look at like and go, oh, he's batting 203 and he's Mr. Hyped Prospects, you know? So there's that, you can't shake that perception thing, even though, you know, those of us who are rational look at all the data, we're like, yeah, yeah, but you gotta look at all the other things. I know. Um, so I just like, so so his value hasn't gone down anyway. Let's just, it's just not going up. It doesn't have a helium sense that you want, you know? So getting back to the whole point of this, Bieber for Dominguez and spare parts, yeah, it feels interesting to me as a trade idea. Yeah, I think my last note on this, because I know we need to wrap here. Um, my last note is I like the idea of it, the framework of it. If you take take the names away and look at kind of mm -hmm. the structure of the deal, I think yeah. that's the type of deal the Guardians should be looking for. And they need they, offense, right? So Exactly. Yeah, they, expiring pitcher for, for young offense. That seems For right. young offense, yeah. and yeah. I think they should headline it with a big guy that kind of makes up the majority of the deal. And if they want some spare parts, go for it. But I don't think mm -hmm. it should be one of these where the headliner is a 15 and then there's yeah. a 10 and an right. eight and a four. Like that's right. not what their system needs. They have enough of these yeah. interesting fringe prospects who could, who they'll probably turn into two war players because they're pretty good at that. Mm -hmm. They need another star hitter. Yeah. A guy who could be exactly. a star hitter, and I, I, they they so. can't just get by with Jose Ramirez forever. So like, right, they right. need they need a guy. Yeah, right. So take the names away. You can argue about the specific names as much as you want, but I do mm -hmm. like the the framework of it, and I think it it does make sense given that context that this is coming from a Guardians fan who knows the system well and knows what that team yeah. needs. Yeah, exactly. Okay, fun episode. Uh, anything else you want to add before we close out? Um, just a reminder that we do have a new site launching soon. I know I'm a broken record and it sounds like, okay, yeah, well, well show us some money. <laughs> you know, it is actually almost done. So, um, it's happening this month. I know it's June 11th as we record this, but uh, it's happening this month. So look forward to that. We'll have more news on it soon. I'm sure. Yeah. All right. That'll do it for this week. Thank you all so much for listening. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to shoot us an email at baseballtradevalues at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at baseballvalues. Also, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. We'll be back in a couple weeks to break down more news and updates. So until then, stay safe and enjoy the season. Thanks, John. Thanks, Josh.